0: Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. The problem with us
1: is there's a lot of us in us. And we go everywhere with us. And what I mean by that in a spiritual way is there's a lot of humanity and flesh in us that God wants to reveal to us. And it's not just trials and tribulations. Another way that you find out what's inside of you is when somebody challenges you on something in your life.
0: This is amazing grace. From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, comes another edition of Abounding Grace. A warm welcome to each of you. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us through the Gospel of John right now, and we'll pick things up in chapter five at verse 16. With a lot of ground to cover, let's get right to it. Here's Pastor Ed with his message, of my own self, I can do nothing.
1: Chapter five is where we are. Now in chapter five, we were introduced Last time to this man at the pool, of Bethesda, that was lame for 38 years, and Jesus healed him. Changed his life forever. And what a glorious revelation of God in the healing. Now, in our lives, when you really want to find out what's in a person, when you really want to find out what's in you, it usually happens in your response to trials and tribulations. You can really find out a lot of people, what's inside a person, when they face great trial and difficulty, you'll find out a lot about yourself. And it's true. Trials don't create what's in you. It reveal They reveal what's already inside of you. Difficulty, pain, setbacks, they don't create what's in you. They reveal. For example, if I was out in the garage working on a woodworking... Pro- okay, maybe not me. If Marie was in the garage... <laughs> working on a nice woodworking project and as she's nailing as she's hitting the nails with the hammer well let's go back to me for the sake of illustration i hit my thumb and the whole neighborhood finds out that i hit my thumb because i scream words that should not come out of a pastor's mouth and i would probably do what you would do if such a thing happened people were running. Are you okay, Pastor? Are you okay, Ed? I heard some things out of your mouth. Are you, a pastor? Are you sure, Pastor? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. When someone comes to confront me on that, I might turn around and go, you know, I, I would have never said those things if I didn't hit my stupid thumb. I really don't talk like that normally and I really words, but, but that's not me. That's not who I am. If I wouldn't have hurt myself, I would have never said that. That's not a true statement. You see, hitting my thumb only revealed what was already in me. In me, it's interesting because we had a young lady come up after service, first service. She had a big old thing on her, on her finger because she slammed it with a rubber mallet. She says, oh, it's so interesting. You use that illustration. I, and I said, okay, okay. I had to ask her, what'd you do? She says, oh, it was great. It was wonderful. I didn't, you know, it was none. I was just, uh, the only thing I said was, ouch. So in her case, what was revealed inside of her was she was abiding in the spirit. It was no big deal. No, no nastiness in there or anything. She just hurt. She got it fixed and she moved on. You see, you find out what's inside a person when they face some trial, some tribulation. It doesn't create it. You know, for for that young lady this morning, she didn't become a nice person because she hit her thumb or hit her finger. And, And if someone, you know, you hit your thumb and you start cussing or something, that doesn't... The hitting it didn't make the cuss words show up in your mind. They were already there. It revealed the fleshiness of your life in the moment. The problem with us is there's a lot of us in us. And we go everywhere with us. And what I mean by that in a spiritual way is there's a lot of humanity and flesh in us that God wants to reveal to us. And it's not just trials and tribulations. Another way that you find out what's inside of you is when somebody challenges you on something in your life. Like, for example, as a part of the body of Christ, we we may see something in your life. You may see something in my life. You go, hey, wait a minute, Ed. Uh, There's a problem in your life. I see it. You're an angry person. You are a such and such and you're such and such. And as you, you know, for someone to come to you and challenge you on an area in your life and you, you know, that you have to understand, they've got a lot of boldness and courage to do that. It took some strength of the Holy Spirit to get them to the place to say, you know what? You are not being a good husband right now. You know what? You are not being a good wife right now. You have a band in your family. You have whatever it might be. They've, they've had to develop a lot of courage. You know, you're not being a really good business owner right now or whatever it is. You say you're a Christian, but you're not acting like one. How you respond is going to reveal a lot about what's inside of you. Are you defensive? Are you argumentative? Are you an excuse maker? Do you not care? You see, when you're challenged on things in your life and somebody just wants to help you grow, they just want to share, that's also a revealer of the heart. And that's where Jesus is in John chapter 5. He's challenging the religious status quo of the day and finding out what's in the heart of the religious rulers. And it's not pretty they're they're murderers in their heart they've gathered together you'll see in a moment to conspire to kill a man that's what it says if you pick up with me in verse 16 notice for this reason the jews persecuted jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the sabbath but jesus answered them my father has been working until now and i have been working Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. This revealed, this confrontation, this challenge in love, the healing of a man on the Sabbath revealed the cold darkness of the religious leaders' hearts. As one commentator put it, they were cold-blooded religionists, more interested in ceremonial observances than they were in the blessing and the welfare of this man. And the only way they found, we find out about it is because Jesus both healed the man as well as confronted their religiosity. You got to understand that Jesus is doing what he's doing on purpose. No coincidence, no accident. He was at the pool of Bethesda on purpose. He walked through the people to the one man on purpose. He went to engage in dialogue with the man on purpose. Or another phrase that we use today that's more common is he was very intentional on what he was doing. He did everything with specific intentionality. We understand now what kind of intention he had. It says that he did what the Father wanted him to do. He was very intentional. He went to the the place, to the person on the day... Jesus purposely healed this man on the Sabbath as an indirect challenge to the religious rulers, not only to help this guy. He did it on purpose. He didn't go the day before and he didn't go the day after. He purposely went here to heal on the Sabbath. As his father was working, so is he. He deliberately challenged the legalism of the day, the man-made traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees. You've got to understand... What happened with this man was not, this was not a breaking of the law of God. Jesus wasn't breaking the law in the heart and the intent of God. The man picking up his mat and being healed, it wasn't, he wasn't breaking the law of God, but he was, they were coming up against. The man made legalistic traditions of the day and the religious leaders were ticked off, majorly, They were so mad and angry and dark-hearted that they conspired to kill a man. We read the Bible so quickly sometimes. We go through and we don't appreciate all the nuances. But you've got to understand something. We cannot move on without you grasping this. You've got to kind of put it in modern day things and just think of some of the pastors that you really appreciate, that you really look up to, that, that, you know, and and the the illustration isn't going to be perfect because these guys are messed up. But just think of if the pastors that you appreciate all got messed up and they're very well renowned and they're very famous and their people look up to them and they got so mad at a situation, a spiritual, a good situation, but it threatened them in some way that they got together, had a little meeting And these pastors that God has used came together and out of that meeting they planned to kill a man. That's what we're dealing with. They've literally planned to kill a man. Not only that, but the very next day they're going to go back and teach the Bible and teach the Torah. We want to kill someone, but we also want to teach you about the things of God. I mean, the depth of darkness... And separation from God, these religious rulers had the ability. Because the phrase Jews, don't let it trip you up. It's not referring to a general people group here in context. It's not just re- referring to a racial group of people, the Jews. It is literally referring to the religious rulers of the day, which were made up of different types of people. Scribes, uh, Pharisees, Sadducees. We don't know exactly who's here exactly, but these are the religious rulers. It's not just an ethnic group it's re- he's referring to, John is. These religious leaders are conspiring to kill a man, not just, not just in persecution, verse 16, but notice in verse 18, they sought all the more. They're increasing in intensity, which, by the way, this is the beginning of what will lead to Jesus being crucified on the cross. They will succeed in their conspiracy, unfortunately, or fortunately, as Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for your sins and mine. And God used it and redeemed it for you and for me. And Jesus, after he was buried, he rose again the third day. And Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive today. And if you will turn your life away from sin and admit that you've sinned against a holy and righteous God and accept the free gift that God extends to you of his son, Jesus Christ. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says you shall be saved. You will enter into life. And in a few moments, you'll have a chance to do just that today, here, right now. I love how Jesus is calm, cool, and collected, so strong in his answer. Would you turn back to Genesis chapter 2 with me for a moment? Jesus is standing there, and it's important to recognize he's not breaking the Sabbath law of God at all. In Genesis chapter 2, we'll pick up right there in verse 1, Genesis chapter 2. This is the end of the creation account, and in verse 1 it says, "'Thus the heavens and the earth and the host of them were finished.'" And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then, verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested and from all his work, which God had created and made. This is where the Sabbath comes from, the seventh day of creation. Jesus is, or God the Father is resting. Literally, the Godhead is involved in creation. They're resting. The Father is resting he rested on the seventh day. Why? Because he was tired? No, because he was done. He was completed. God rested from creation, but he didn't rest in terms of his love. He didn't stop loving on that day. He didn't, stop. He didn't rest from his compassion. He didn't rest from his involvement with people. The sun was still coming up, the sun was going down. The, the plants were still growing and being nourished from the water, the atmosphere was still existing. The world was still held together. The crops were growing. Life was still being sustained seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So it's not that God completely rested to do nothing. Not so. He rested from his creation. What the religious rulers of the day had done is they had taken the Sabbath, God's gift of rest to man, and they had so corrupted it and made it into a prison house of rules and regulations. You see, God's Sabbath rest had literally been broken by sin. And ever since the fall of man, God has been seeking and saving men every day. Now, I was, I happened to be saved on a Wednesday evening, so it doesn't apply to me. But I'm certain if you look at the time frame then you were saved. Some of you were saved on the Jewish Sabbath day. You were saved on the Jewish Sabbath day. And if there was still a strict adherence to the Jewish Sabbath day, which is done away with because now our Sabbath rest is in Christ. But if you look at yourself and you say, from the perspective of someone that holds to a strict Sabbath Observance with all kinds of rules and regulations. For those of you that were saved on the Sabbath day, don't you, aren't you happy that God was still working on that particular day? Because that's when you were saved. Aren't you glad that when you were praying and asking God, maybe you were kneeling on your, in your closet, just crying out to God, asking him to save you. Aren't you glad the answer from heaven is, sorry, please leave a message. This is the Sabbath day. I cannot save you. No way. God is working. That's what Jesus says. God has been working, and I have been working. Wow. How we can so mess things up. This is a much bigger term, though. Jesus is taking this opportunity and making it much more as he is declaring for all who will listen that he himself is God. He's equating himself with the Father. He's saying that he is on equal terms in nature and work as the Father. You go, how can you pull that out of the text? I'm glad you asked. Because in verse 18 it says that he made himself equal with God. Now, this is important. I want to pause just for a brief moment and address the importance of you and I understanding that Jesus indeed is God. That's who he is. He is God in human flesh. The reason I bring that out to you is because there is a very increased activity of those that are involved in false religions, or what we would refer to as cults, working our neighborhoods, coming to your door, sharing a false gospel with you. Some of them walk in two by two, they'll get out of their car, they'll come with their little handbag, and they'll come up, knock on your door, and they will be introducing to you a false Jesus from the Jehovah Witness cult, the Watchtower Society. Still others will ride into your neighborhood on bikes and they'll be very well dressed and very respectful. They too will knock on your door and introduce to you a false Jesus, the Mormons. And they're very active. They'll even come in, on occasion, they'll even come in here trying to convince people right here on the property of true Jesus worshipers. And the thing that they will say inevitably is that Jesus is not God. They'll do their best to convince you that the Bible doesn't teach that, or that Jesus never claimed it. But on more than one occasion, Jesus declared he didn't just claim it. He didn't just suggest it. Jesus declared himself to be God, and this is one of the vocations. He' go, "Well, he didn't. And what the cultists will say is, well, he didn't really mean that. Listen, The people that were looking Jesus in the eye, listening to him feeling his breath and his presence right in front of him, they knew exactly what he was saying. And John records it. They wanted, you know why? They put him on the cross. Not for Sabbath breaking, but because he claimed to be God. You see, Jesus didn't just declare it, he demonstrated it. He demonstrated over and over. That's a different Bible study altogether. But let me just say this. As I do mention groups from time to time, as I believe it's biblically necessary, the two most popular ones in our community, if you happen to be listening to us on the radio right now, or you're in the room or listening to this, uh, somebody gave you a CD or an MP3, it means that you are genuinely seeking God. If you're a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, that's how you identify yourself. Maybe you were born into it. Maybe it's just your family and you're a part of it, and, and yet you, you take all the religious teachings and you knock on all the doors, but you realize when you go to bed at night, you're still empty. Religion isn't doing it for you. And so you are tuned on on a radio station. You're not telling anybody, but I know you are. You know you are. Or you do have a friend that gave you a CD and you told him, I'm not going to listen to it, but you're really hungry inside, so you do listen to it. Because I mention a group, the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't condemn you for being a part of the group. I pray for you. I realize that in the room right now, some of you are scratching your head and you're saying, you know, why are you telling us this? Because I'm really not telling you this. You're just coming alongside on a little excursion for a moment because the ministry here reaches far more than just those here in the room and while maybe even in the room god is doing this or you're downstairs you're just kind of sneaking in if you are in caught up in mormonism or jehovah witness and you're really eager to learn about the truth i want to invite you to email me personally Inevitably, when I teach on these subjects and I mention a group or a teacher, my email box is full. I'm grateful. Email me. My personal email address is pastored at calvaryaurora.org. Email me wherever you are in Texas, in Maine, wherever the radio, wherever our broadcast goes, email me. I invite you to do that. And if I can't answer all of them personally, I'll set them aside to those that are serving alongside of us, and together collectively we will. I want you to email me personally. I won't even give you Ian's email address, so you can email me directly. But I genuinely, sincerely want to minister to you, and I don't want to talk about all the doctrine. I don't want to talk. Well, I just want to talk to you about Jesus. And I'm not calling you to my side. I'm not saying we. Oh, just come and be one of us. I don't want you to be one of us. I want you to be a true Jesus follower. I want to introduce you to the true Jesus of the scriptures. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to belittle you, nor will I. But I truly do want to talk to you. And you're invited. Email me directly. I will not be offended. If, if what I've said right now stirs up in you, okay, well, you're wrong. Email me. I'd love to talk to you. i love to dialogue with you. Because Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. He is not the blood brother of Lucifer. He's not a created angel that was once Michael the archangel. Jesus is God. And he loves you, gave his life for you. He died and took the penalty of your sin. And as I mentioned groups, I want you to know I'm not, I'm not judging or condemning anyone. Jesus didn't come to condemn, he came to save. But I'm also not going, to una- I'm not going to back down nor back away from biblical truth. I will declare the truth unashamedly and with great confidence. I just don't want to be misunderstood that unashamedly with great confidence means that I think I'm superior to anyone. I don't think I'm superior to anyone. I was just as lost as the next guy. Sold out into my sin and drunkenness and drugs and all the junk I was into. In and out of jail. I'm no better than anyone else. But I can tell you this. The love of Jesus Christ changed my life and can change your life too. That's what Jesus is saying here. They knew it. He knows it. Verse 19, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you that the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him even greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, Even so, the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Powerful. As Jesus takes their rage and intensity and turns it around to share the love that he has for them. And he declares two things that are going to encourage them and teach them. The resurrection from the dead, his own resurrection, and judgment. And he says, I have authority in resurrection and I have authority in judgment. Again, things that would speak to them, they would fully understand. It's interesting when you t- study the topic of the, re- of the resurrection, especially specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all three persons in the Trinity are involved in the resurrection of Jesus. You can jot it down if you like to take notes. In Acts chapter 3 verse 14, it says that God the Father rose Jesus from the dead. In John chapter 2 verse 19, it speaks of Jesus the Son raising himself from the dead. And then finally in Romans chapter 8, it speaks of God the Holy Spirit raising Jesus up from the dead. There's perfect unity and symmetry in the Godhead between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is asserting that before us now. He says, I also can judge. And so that you might marvel, you're going to see greater works through my life. Just like the Father raised the dead, I raise the dead. The Father judges no one, but committed all judgment to me. There's a beautiful unity in the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, can we just pause for a second and consider a few things that I'd encourage you to pray about in your own life when we think of the unity of the Trinity, when we think of the unity of the Father and the Son and all? I mean, Jesus is very powerfully saying, of myself I do nothing. And It's true for you and I. He'll repeat it again by the time we leave. Number one, Pray for unity that God's will in your life. Pray for unity with God's will in your life. Pray for unity. Pray, because I think we already pray for God's will. That's a great prayer. Don't stop praying that. God, what is your will for my life? What is your will in this situation? Pray for God's will in your life. But add to that a unity with God's will. Because God will reveal his will to you and you may not like it. He might reveal something for you and you don't want to cooperate. So pray that God, you you would have a unity with God. You don't want to rebel. I don't want to rebel against God's will for my life. I want to cooperate with it. I want to be in just as cooperation as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Secondly, pray for a life that marvels at God and his majesty. That's what Jesus said. You're going to have greater works than these that you may marvel. Greater works. Pray that you would stand in majesty.
0: A couple of great prayer requests there that you can pray even today. And this is Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor has been in John chapter 5 today. It's a message we've titled, Of My Own Self, I Can Do Nothing. Hear it again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. You know, Pastor Ed has written an excellent book, just perfect for days like these. It's God's Help for the Troubled Heart. We all suffer and experience pain, and maybe for you, that's been at an all-time high in recent months. Well, God stands ready to help us when we experience a troubled heart. Perhaps you've experienced deep grief or a painful trial recently, or know of someone who has. I know you'll be blessed and encouraged as you read God's Help for the Troubled Heart. We'll send you a copy with our thanks when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or order it online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we continue delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, thank you for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace.
1: This is amazing
0: grace.